I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Hello, this is Hope. Yay, I'm so perfect I'm so glad to have you on today, Hope. I can't wait to talk to you about all things finding hope. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So, um, so to get started, can you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about who you are and your book and what you've got going on? Absolutely. So once again, thank you for having me on. Um, hope Baker. So I recently wrote a book called Finding Hope. Um, a best-selling book, which was very exciting. And it really takes you through my journey as a birth mother, um, which, you know, some people don't even know what that means, but essentially what that means is I had a child that I placed for adoption. Um, So the book just really goes through that journey of, I mean, truly finding hope, being in a dark place and, you know, all the struggles that come with it, depression, addiction, and then finding the light on the other side. So your book, uh, Finding Hope, it's about the idea that adoption is an addition and not a subtraction. Can you share a little bit about that and, and what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think sometimes with adoption, and I definitely think even myself, like I struggled with this for years of thinking, you know, that this was something that I lost. Right. And I think, you know, when you talk to the experts, um, They tell you that when you describe adoption, it shouldn't be the loss of, you know, the birth family or the loss of a life that could have been. It's really about the addition of a new family and really everybody joining arms and doing it together. And I think, you know, anybody in this world knows that whether you're raising a child or getting through anything in life, it takes a village at the end of the day. So I think it's important to look at adoption as an addition. And I think, you know, in the book, it goes through many, 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 many heartaches. And, you know, I've heard feedback from some people. Some of it's hard to read because it really is the raw, authentic truth um, of, it, of the experience of a birth mother. And that story is not always told. And I, so, so help me understand, how old were you when you became pregnant? Yes. Yeah, so I was 21. I was a junior in college okay. when I found out I was pregnant. Okay. And so obviously at that moment in your life, you were faced with tremendous amount of emotions, um, I'm sure. And how did you kind of maneuver through all of, all of those, you know, overwhelming emotions and things like that to come to the decision to place your son up for adoption? That's always like the toughest question to answer. You know, I went back and forth when I found out I was pregnant, I was, I was further along and it was really a shocking experience for me. Um, I was under the impression it would be extremely hard for me to have children if I could. Um, and I'd gone through something traumatic with my family during the time when I was pregnant and not aware that I was. Um, so I think, you know, that initial shock, I mean, every option went into my head. Do I get an abortion? Do I keep the child? Do I place him for adoption? What, what do I do? And I think, 
you know, I went back and forth. There was moments where I said, I'm keeping him. I'm going to raise him. I can do this. You know, I may only have $5 in my bank account, but I'm a capable woman and I can do it. And then there was moments where I just, I thought that he deserved, you know, and it's sad to say, but I just thought he deserved better than me and, and more. Right. Um, so, you know, eventually obviously I came to that decision where I was going to place him and I was fortunate enough to find a wonderful mother. She's a single mom by choice and found a wonderful family for him. But, you know, I mean, I went back and forth. I mean, I even went to an abortion clinic. My sister drove me to an abortion clinic in Kansas city and I couldn't do it. So, you know, I ended up keeping the baby, but that's how, you know, the roller coaster, the roller coaster ride was, it was so up and down and back and forth. You know, I bet a lot of women can relate on all sorts of different levels, whether they've planned a pregnancy or not planned a pregnancy. Um, I think the nature of pregnancy hormones, too, plays a lot into that. And especially for the first time, I think um, there's so many things that are unknown and so many questions. And, you know, anytime something is an unknown and anytime you're going to be responsible for a life, it's it's a big deal. It's a it's a big it's a big life change. It's, it's a big experience for sure. Um, so, so what was your journey like after the adoption process? So you lived with a woman, right? During the pregnancy? Yes. For the last two ish months, I did live with the woman. Um, I hid my pregnancy from about 99.9% of the world. Wow. (laughs) Very. Yeah. So it was a, you know, I was starting to really, really show and I, and I, it's, it's so interesting because I really can't remember who made the first, whose idea it was first. Was it hers, mine, my mom's? I don't know whose idea it was first for us to live together, but we just kind of ran with it. And, you know, in my head, I thought, Hey, this is a great opportunity for not only me to get to know her, but for my son, who's in my stomach to hear her voice. And, you know, and I, I want to see the life he's going to live. And, some people, especially the attorneys, were like, do not do this. Right. Do not do this. Like, what if, and it was, it was interesting because it was like, what if you don't like the way she makes her eggs or, uh, you know, all, right. these, <laughs> just all these little things. They were like, so much could go wrong. I mean, living together so much could go wrong, but we just never wavered. We thought, what better way to bring a child into the world than to do it together? And wow. And it was beautiful, you know, and I wanted her, she couldn't have children and I wanted her to be able to experience pregnancy with me, right? Let's do this wow. together. Um, and, and we did, and we became extremely close. So was she there when your son was born? Yes. So get an image in your head, right? <laughs> Clear your mind and picture um, me in the bed. She's holding one leg. My mom is holding my other leg and then her mother, so my son's grandmother, um, is taking pictures and videos. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's what the room, the labor room looks like. Um, a bunch of strong, you know, very, very great women in a room all together. in, In movies, they always make it where the baby's just ripped from the birth mother's arms and the birth mother's just crying. And, you know, that doesn't sound like that was your experience at all. No. So it's interesting enough. And I think this is one of like the big points that I talk about in my book that just, I mean, it haunts, 
it haunts my brain. Like this is one of the things where if I'm down in my life, whether it's stress with work or, you know, stress in my relationship or anything, my mind goes to um, and the labor where, and we had originally, we had decided this originally that when my son was born, he was going to go to his, his mom's chest, right. His adopted mom's chest, um, because that was an important bonding moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So you do see in the movies that that happens. And I think in, in this situation, it wasn't, it wasn't forced or, um, you know, it's not like he was snatched from me, but that is a moment that's haunted me, you know, all these years that when he came out, I was the only person he ever knew and he didn't come to my chest and I didn't end up holding him until the very next day after he was born. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's something that it haunts me. Like how does, you know, is he affected by it? Like, does he have problems in different areas of his life? Because that's a trauma for a child and, and it certainly was a trauma for me that I have to work on wow. every single day, you know? Wow. I mean, that visual is, that's, that's tough. Uh, I mean, I have a child, I have one. Um, and I remember, uh, with my, my son, and I don't know if this would give you any comfort, but with my son, um, he came so fast and I didn't have, I didn't even have a Tylenol. It, I mean, he literally oh came goodness. so quick. Um, so I was, uh, it was like I had run a marathon and I was violently shaking. Um, you know, we barely made it to the hospital. <laughs> That's oh my goodness. Actually, my husband making me stop a million times. He had to get McDonald's for moral support. The whole thing. It's a very hysterical story. Oh God. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> that is great to tell. But so he came so quickly that I was shaking so violently that I, I couldn't hold him uh, because I would drop him. So, so my husband was actually the first person to hold our son. Um, and same kind of thing that, you know, and when, when I'm down, sometimes I remember that and think, wow, am I a good mom? I couldn't even hold him. You know, I, I think about that, but so it's interesting how you said when you're down, that I feel like just in general in life, when things aren't going well in our life, we tend to go back to what we see as these kind of you know, big moments in our life and think of all the things that we could have done differently or that we didn't do right or how we responded to situations. And so I think you bring up such a good point that, um, those are the wounds probably that we, that we need to explore more as we heal as humans. Absolutely. I think that one of the most important things that I've started doing in my life is just trauma work. Like, those, those traumatic moments. And, you know, at the time I didn't know that that moment was going to cause me to be in a deep depression and to look to drugs and alcohol to solve my problems. I had no idea, you know, we, we have all this trauma. And I think as women and men as well, we best decisions we can at the time with the information we have, right. I was a woman in crisis and I made a decision and there was just a series of decisions that came after that. Right. I could have spoke up and advocated and said, you know, I want to hold my son when he's born. I think it's important. But I was once again a woman in crisis and making the best decisions that I thought I could for myself, right. for my son, for his adoptive mother. Of course, I wanted them to bond, you know, but I didn't, you know. So I think we're all just trying to do the best we can at that moment. Yeah, we, I, lo- I love right? that. And, <laughs> and I often say this to clients, you know, we, we're doing the best we can with what we have in the moment that we have. And, and after that, you know, we move forward and we do our best to recover and heal and, and see the and see the positive in whatever the decision was, and find the hope in whatever the decision was. 
Um, and I love that. That's just absolutely so true. I have this question for you for later, but um, it seems appropriate to ask now. You know, obviously, this is a very public story now, uh, being a bestseller. And how how do you think that ha- um, has or wh- how old is your son now? He's six. He's six. Okay. Yep. So how do you think that the story being what it is and being available um, may impact him? That's a wonderful question. I have, you know, I also, I see a therapist. <laughs> so I, I think we all should. Um, you know, and that was something we, I went back and forth with her on is, you know, what is this going to do? What is this going to mean for him? And I think that I wouldn't be the mother that I feel like I am if I didn't tell my truth. And I think that someday if he reads it, um, he may feel pain and he may feel different. Who knows what feelings I can't, I can't control those feelings, which I have to be, I have to know that if he's angry at me someday for it and I have to respect that, right. It's his emotions, but I truly believe, you know, it was, it, it's a story that need to be told. And I think that it may even help him someday understand more. And no, I think a big problem adoptive children have is, they feel like back to that first thing we talked about, like they lost something and that they weren't wanted. And I think it's so clear that he was so wanted by so many, right. By all of these people. And I think it'll be, I think it'll be a healing thing for him. Um, You know, and, and it's interesting because I don't know if my, my son's mom has read the book. I know that, you know, she has it. I don't know if she's read it. And, and I understand that there could be pain there, right? And there's, you know, in the book, you read about conversations with my mom and struggles with my mom because she says it's too painful um, to relive what we went through and some of the ups and downs. So everybody, it, it's, it's weird because, you know, you think certain people aren't have certain reactions and they have. Some of the feedback I've gotten from adoptive parents and the, the outpour, outpour of people reaching out saying, wow, you know, I have an adoptive child or my sister does or my brother does or my friend does or I'm adopted and I've never heard a story be told from this perspective this way. Um, right. Right. So, you know, it, it's, I think that it's, it's it, helping. It, it took you a tremendous amount of courage to speak your truth with grace. And I think that can be so cathartic and so therapeutic. Um, and I do, and I do believe that, regardless, I agree with you. Um, it's your story. It's your version of your story and it's your truth. And there has to be some level of, um, positive impact just in that, just in knowing that and how, how amazing to tell it in such a raw way that allows, you know, people who have struggled for years with this, um, you know, to, to maybe find some hope. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, my son actually um, brought up the topic of a sibling the other day for the first time in eight years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and I've always been pretty firm on the only thing. And um, anyway, we got to talking about different things, you know, saying mommy's getting old now, you know, talking about <laughs> adoption, things like that. And he brought up a boy in class um, that that now he's at that age where they start understanding stepdads and adopt it, uh, adoption and think, you know, before when they were younger, they didn't really get that. Um, and he said that a boy in class was adopted. And then he asked me, would you ever adopt me away? 
And, uh, you know, oh. it was, yeah, it was one of um, those moments in life where I totally was, and these often happen, where I'm not prepared for these conversations that I just didn't expect that we would ever have to have. Um, but what was really neat is that he started sharing that this little boy who's adopted in, in, in class uh, really, really loves his, his uh, mother and is so thankful for the, the life that he has and things like that. And, um, and, and, that, and that sounded special to me that they were able to have that kind of conversation um, one of the things that, that you talk about in your book is that everybody should, could, should consider adoption first. So talk to me about that a little bit. I mean, I think that, so I've got, I've got all these mixed emotions about adoption, especially, you know, now that my book is out and, and similar to what you said, I mean, it's really writing a book and telling your truth in such an open way to the world is is scary yes it absolutely i had to you know the week before it came out i had a panic attack and i was like calling my publisher like okay can we take this part out can we see this you know just having those freakouts. but it had to be told the way it was fully um but i think that you know it's just it's it's tough to be it's tough to put yourself out there and to go through those experiences um and I think because of that, because of the conversations I'm having now, the adoption world to me, I mean, I believe adoption is beautiful because my son at the time, once again, I was a woman in crisis. I did the best I could in that moment. Now, if I, if I, I wouldn't wish this pain or this hurt or this longing or this, any of this on even anybody, right? My worst enemy, nobody. I would never wish this pain on anybody. So this is why I have a little bit of mixed emotions about adoption. I totally, fully, fully support adoption because there are times when somebody's not ready to be a mother. And if they, if they want to choose, first off, if they want to choose to have an abortion, I support that as well. I support a woman's right to choose. But if she, if she wants to have a baby, and, and what do you do, right? So I believe adoption can be beautiful. And it's important to look at that avenue, but it's also, gosh, I just have the most mixed emotions about it. <laughs> you know, some days I, I hate it and that's just the raw truth. Some days I hate it. I'm so against it. And other days, you know, I'm thankful for it. So it's yeah. just this, <laughs> this roller coaster of emotions. I think you touch on something so important, which is that there really are no easy answers to a lot of these things in life. And I think the world we live in now compared to the world they lived in 100, 200 years ago, it's so complex and it's created so much um, emotional turmoil in these different things that arise and, and stuff that people haven't had to even deal with at all. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Um, I, I also, um, I, I can relate to your freak out. I, I published a memoir <laughs> and uh, I did my freak out after it came out, went into hiding. <laughs> Oh, I'm with you. It's scary. And good for you for doing it. Not everybody can do that. It takes extreme courage to put a book out there about your life. I mean, yeah, you know, and and, and I'm curious about this with you. Have you had people that then now somehow feel entitled to assess your decision and critique your decisions that you made along the way and judge? Have you have you had to deal with that? It's interesting because I was prepared for that. I was saying, I'm sure this is going to happen. Like I was ready to see, but I was also very positive and thinking that, you know what, this is, 
I, it's going to be great. There's not going to be problems. Like I had to constantly say that over and over again um, to make my mind believe that, right? <laughs> Some positive yeah. affirmations. Oh, yeah. but, but surprisingly, you know, I have not, I think the only hurtful thing so far has been, you know, that my, my mom can't read the book because it's too painful for her. Um, and I, honestly, like other than that, the feedback I've gotten has been overwhelmingly wonderful overwhelmingly wonderful. Now it's interesting because as I said, I hid my pregnancy. People didn't know I had a child until a couple years after. And I had been writing a blog. Yeah. I mean, it was hidden. Like even, you know, I had four close friends who knew nobody else knew. Wow. Um, And and talk to me about that. (laughs) And, And so you made that decision because you wanted to protect him. You wanted to be able to move forward in your life. What, what, what made you hide it? What was your reasoning then? I think I was afraid of being judged. I felt like people were going to, to judge me and were going to be cruel. And interesting, now I wrote a book and put it in the whole world. Like, what a 360, <laughs> right? But like, that was why. I mean, I wanted to be able to make my decision without the fear of persecution, right? I didn't right. want that fear. And, you know, when I did go public with my blog, I wrote an anonymous blog, 20-something birth mother, which I've now put all of those posts on my actual website, but I made it unanonymous, right? So I shared it on Facebook and on my social medias. And when I did that, I had some feedback from people just saying, you're the worst. How could you do that? Like, you're so selfish. Like, I got some very mean commentary, very mean. But with the book, I haven't. And, And I don't know. Maybe it's because people see that, you know, the book isn't just about adoption and being a birth mother. It's really about the fact that we all have pain. We all go through hardship and and it's, and when we're in it, we feel like we'll never see the light again. We feel so lost. And and at the end of the day, the book is about finding the light in your journey and being able to pull yourself out of your dark places and to know you're not alone. We all have pain and we all go through it. So I, I love that. And I, and I think I saw this interesting um, meme one time, or it was like an email text exchange from friends that was supposed to be where it was like, how are you doing? And the friend replies, I'm great. Um, but then you see what she originally replied, which was all these different woes she's going through. And then she scratches them all out and leaves just the I'm great. And that's, and that's really uh, for so many people, for everybody that we walk by every day in our life, they're going through something. Somebody's going through something, whether it's the loss of a friend or the loss of a spouse or somebody being diagnosed with an illness or job troubles or a car accident or whatever, you know, there's, there's something that everybody is going through. And some of these are more traumatic and some of these are less, but how quick we are to judge others, um, because their struggle is different or just has a different mask than ours does. Absolutely. Um, So a lot of what you talk about in the book is taboo. I mean, even just in the podcast so far about, you know, adoption, birth, mother, abortion, who's in the room, all these different things. How, how have you worked through that? And what do you think about the fact that, um, you know, I hear a lot of these sorts of things in closed doors and the clients that I work with, but they're terrified to talk about this sort of thing out in the world uh, because it's taboo. What do you think about that? I, I completely agree with that thought. And, you know, as we talked about, it's one of the reasons I hid my pregnancy because it is fearful. 
if you tell somebody, even somebody who supports pro-choice that you've had an abortion or that you were going to get an abortion, it's almost like a, a invisible label is put on you. Right. And I think mm-hmm. being a birth mother, I always, it's, I had somebody literally send me a message. I didn't know them. It was a stranger, but they sent me a message on my Instagram and said, I've never, I've never thought of a birth mother as being a normal person. Like I always assumed that they were drug addicts and their children were being taken away. And they were like surprised that I was just, yeah. you know, I just wasn't ready to be a mom. And my, I thought my son deserved a better life, right. For the woman I was at the time. And I think that that goes back to that, right? Like when you hear birth mother, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? For some people, it's, it's a negative thought. And then, you know, people who have been touched by adoption may say, wow, it's a beautiful thing that you've done, but there's taboo around it. And I think even with how I have really transformed my life with like the law of attraction and like positive affirmations and literally waking up every day looking in the mirror and saying my I am statements, I am beautiful, I am powerful, I'm successful, I'm kind, I'm intelligent. Like, even when you talk about how that's how you got through things, it's a taboo, right? People are like, okay, but it's getting better. But right, what would they say? Like, that's a little hippie for me. Right? right. Like, you know, and some people say, but like, but it's, you're talking to the biggest hippie, so yeah. But isn't that funny? Like that's what I do my affirmations every day. <laughs> totally. And look at you took a license, like, right? Like you, you went to school for this, and this is how you. And I remember the, the first affirmation cards I got were from my son's mother, who is a she's a psychotherapist. Like, you know, and that was really my introduction into this whole world. And unfortunately, I didn't use them until my life spun out of control. But it's just, you know, it really is a taboo, though. Like, sometimes my family's like, okay, Hope, shut up. Like, right. <laughs> that's not how you solve problems. I'm like, no, you know, manifest things, blah, blah, blah. My dad's like, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, I love that. I I really think that I really think that the world needs more space for just acceptance in that way. Um, And the modern world we live in has created a lot of this, as I said before. Um, How can women better support each other? Obviously, you had a lot of strong women in the room the day that your son was born. But in general, how can women support each other? I see a lot of women bashing two women. What do you think about that? I completely understand where you're coming from. And it's interesting because I've had friends in the past who were kind of those negative people in your life, but you're friends with them still because you're you're raised that that's normal. Like I remember as a kid being made fun of by my family for thinking I was beautiful, right? Like for being like, I'm beautiful. I was made fun of. And I had to unlearn those behaviors. And I think as society, women are pitted against each other. There can always only be one beautiful person. There's only one person who can get to the top you know, that there's not enough space for all of us. And that's so not true. I love like to say, I love to say there's enough crowns to go around. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That should be on like a t-shirt or like painted yeah. on the wall. I don't need yours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the mindset we need to adopt. And I am so fortunate to have found, I mean, incredible, incredible women in my life, you know, my best friends and all of them have helped me immensely and we're we're constantly building each other up and you know and I think about even their mothers like I have one of my friend's moms is just I mean she's such a good role model and her aunt I mean they're just like this family is like 
it's a family of incredible women. Like literally, they're just the most incredible women in the world. And it's so good to be around that because they're teaching you that there is enough room for everybody. There is, you can all be exactly what you want to be. And the other person doesn't have to lose anything, right? Like you can be, all be beautiful and all be successful and all be wonderful mothers without, you know, having to compete against each other. There's, There's more space. And I think that's a big mind shift. And you have to be able to, you know, within my own life, like I had to be around the right people. Because if you're around people who are having that mentality of they have to bring someone down to feel like they're up, like you got to get those people out of your life and far, far away. I don't care if it's your sister, like (laughs) far away. (laughs) And I, and so I have a couple of thoughts on that earlier when you were saying I, I'm fortunate enough to have great people around me. I was thinking, well, you were smart enough to manifest those relationships. That's what I was thinking. Absolutely. When you said that. <laughs> and, and then ironically on that note, you know, with emotional detachment or any kind of actual detachments, as far as getting people that are negative away, I like to say that, um, you know, it doesn't have to be forever. I think sometimes we're just not very good at setting a boundary or, um, or participating in that relationship at that time. Yep. And then when we get stronger and get healthier, then we can let that person back in in a healthier way, you know, if it's a family member. I have a couple of super hard questions for you. Um, now you, you can, these, these are tough, but I realize they probably changed, but what was your greatest lesson in this whole experience? I think greatest lesson would probably be that the first step to making any change is being open about that. There's a problem, whether that's open to just yourself or open to a friend or open to family, like the first an absolute best step you can take is to just admit that there's something there. And it's interesting because we talk about, you know, when alcoholics go to alcohol anonymous and all these different things, they go through these step programs. And I was just talking about this the other day. I'm like, if you look through those, if you look through those books, like a lot of it is first off, acknowledging you have a problem, acknowledging something is there. When I made that distinction in my life and I acknowledged that there was an issue and I wasn't okay and I need to stop hiding behind my, you know, my good job and my, my smiley face. Like, I need to be open about it. Like, if, it's interesting because those steps, if you apply them in your life, whether you're an alcoholic or not, like, just going back to the traumas, like, thinking about all the things in the past that have happened to you and working through it, right? You can't, we can't bury things anymore because look at what's happened to our society. And I, and I truly believe that society is always getting better. No matter what people say, we are always getting better as a society, right? We always are. We're always improving and we're getting better. It's just now the whole world can see everything that's happening because we're so open and connected, right? But we are getting better. But I think, you know, the most important thing is to just acknowledge that it's okay to not be okay. Stop typing it. I love that. I love that. I love that. It's okay to not be okay. That's what I always say is happiness is a constant reset. Um, This this past... uh, well, past couple of weeks, I've been in the in Panama, 
and I actually went to a village in, deep in the Panamanian jungle and, um, you know, saw how they barter for everybody has a job. They barter. Everybody knows everything about everybody and is supporting each other. And they're all they're all working together. And earlier when you said it takes a village um, and just now when you said to be open, um, I, I think that seeing that it, it, they're still living in that kind of old fashioned way. Um, and it was so neat to see them working together, even though they had nearly nothing. I mean, they were, yep. you know, living so, so simply. And, um, and it really, it really firmed that up for me that so much of what, what emotional stress and, and trauma that we have today has been caused from the disconnection that we've created in our world. It was, it was really eye opening. So I love that the first step to, to making changes, being open. And, and you're right. So much of what's in the, the AA book is so applicable to yep. every, every place in life. And that's interesting, right? Like it, it, it's very interesting because, yeah, you know, I have my, my father's actually going through, you know, a recovery of his own and he's going through these steps with me. And I'm like, dude, like I'm doing this stuff too. Like, I don't even have the handbook. Like I'm, it's so interesting because like I am in therapy <laughs> and I'm doing the same thing you are, but like, you gotta, you know, like I need that book. <laughs> like, it's interesting. Like you've got to revisit trauma. You've got to make amends and, and be able to walk away from what's bringing you down. Like if the AA book should be they, they like can, taught in school. Oh, sure. Just <laughs> rephrase it. Start, starting at elementary level. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, rephrase it. Rephrase it as, you know, call it something uh, else. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so, so what has been your greatest gift through so, all of this as some, you know, don't see it as a loss. What is your greatest gift? What's the greatest thing you received? I mean, I think the greatest gift is my son, even though he's not with me and that is challenging every single day. And I miss him and I wonder about, you know, what he's doing and what he's thinking and what new ideas come to his head. And, but I do believe at the end of the day that he will always be my greatest gift um, through all this. And, you know, this is part of a reason for me to, make my life better and try to be healthy because he deserves that. Right. He is my greatest gift. And I think without him, I wouldn't have, and, and listen, like my trauma didn't start the day he was born. Right. My trauma started probably the day I was born. Right. So I think, you know, he's been a gift in the way that I am now acknowledging even before he was born, I wasn't okay. Right. I struggled with all of these things and I hit it because I'm a happy, smiley person and I've <laughs> done okay in my life. Right. I've, I'm pretty successful for my age and for, you know, and it's like, I've, I wasn't okay before he was born. And I think that that's a gift in itself is being able to acknowledge that, that this is the, I got to work on myself and it's okay. And I got that from, you know, having to be in an extremely depressed and dark place and, having to get myself out of it and work with, yeah, I didn't do it alone, but you know, I took the village, but that's been a gift in itself to, to come back up. So I, I just think that's absolutely beautiful. And, and while, and while you were talking, I got a little bit sad. Um, just thinking about, you know, my son says it must, so my son being eight, your son being six, my son says, 
stuff every day that just completely blows my mind. Like just <laughs> inspires me to be a better person, makes me laugh or his insight on something, you know, the way that it, the, it, when we were in Panama, we were out on a fishing boat. We do a lot of fishing and we never hardly ever get seasick. And we both got deathly seasick. I mean, oh, real no. bad, like real bad. And I mean, I couldn't even lift my body off the boat at some point. And my husband was having to apply sunscreen to our, <laughs> to myself and my son. And I'm there on the boat in my darkest moments, feeling like I'm a horrible mom because I can't put sunscreen on him. I can't take care of him. He's sick, you know. Um, but he said to me when we got back, he said, mommy, I knew that it wasn't going to last forever and that I would feel relief soon. And that kept me going. Oh my and God. Just... <laughs> like, what a kid. Oh, you know, like those sorts of moments. And so when you were talking about not, not getting to see him every day, um, and, and talking about missing some of the things he says and stuff, how, how it made me sad. How often do you get to see him and what is your current, um, status there? Yeah, first off, I it sounds like you've raised such an incredible son. Oh my god. Well, thank you. He's oh. he's a he's a cream puff. <laughs> he sounds like it. Jeez, he sounds like it. Um, so, you know, via our contract, I am entitled to see him two, three times a year, given that it's healthy for him, right? So there's all these this verbiage, but I do see him, you know, I think two to three times a year. One time I saw him four times in a year. But it's it's interesting because that, that's also part of where my trauma comes from is like having that realization that I don't have control. You know, I've, I've requested a couple visits in the last six months and the way it hasn't been granted. And you know what? I always believe that my son's mom knows what's best for him. She truly does. And she would never do anything to hurt him. So I know that it's because they're busy or things, this is snap. But I mean, the, imagine that pain of like not being able to see your child. Like I just, and there's days where I wake up and I need him. Like, I can't, I can't get him out of my head in, in a sense where I'm, it's like a motherly instinct, like I need him. And maybe that's because he's going through something or I am. I don't know. One of us is pulling. And although I'm thousands of miles away from him, like that, that's you real. Can feel the heartstrings it. are real. Ugh. And I can feel when I'm needed. And so, I mean, as a mother to have to suppress that and deny that because I can't do anything about it. I can send grace and love from afar, but I can't physically be there when I can feel that he needs me there. Um, it's hard and, and it's debilitating, right? You're a mother, you know, when we, we have these instincts, yeah. we know, right. That, that's, the heartstrings are real. So wow. I, I mean, I get to see him two to three times a year and I think, I used to say, oh, that's more than most women get. But at the end of the day, I have an adoption. A diff- Everybody has their own personal adoption, right, right. story. And so I- I'm glad that I do get the- that time, but I would love more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And I mean, I-, I imagine she has her perspective, too, in trying to raise him in a healthy way, like you said, for um... – for what she's taken on too. I mean, what, what, what I think is pulling at, at me the most is this idea that here you have done all of this work to such a good, healthy space and to be of such sound mind. And I think to, to, to hear that part of it and know that you, you can't see him now with hindsight's being 2020 makes me sad. You know, that part hurts a little bit. How do you find happiness during these times Mm. of really feeling the loss 
Well, actually, right now I'm in Mexico, so I'm looking at, I'm literally looking at the beautiful ocean. My partner's sitting there outside playing his Gimbri. Oh, so wow. I'm, I'm finding happiness through travel this week. Um, oh, but, you know, I find happiness that way too. Right. <laughs> right. But I think, you know, I, the biggest thing that I can do when I think about happiness is happiness is a choice. At the end of the day, even if you're in a dark place, if you can somehow muster up the ability to look in the mirror and say, I am happy. And you say it five times a day, 10, 15 times a day, your, your mind, you'll, you can start to trick your mind. And I, and I did this to myself. I would wake up every day and say, okay, I can cry for a little bit, but then I've got to be happy. Like give, give yourself 10 minutes to cry, have, you know, that, that sad moment, but then you have to be happy. And, and if you have to force yourself and trick yourself, you got to do it. And I did that for, you know, two years. And all of a sudden I woke up one day and I, it's like I wasn't tricking myself. Like I felt happiness. And it was just like this weird, holy crap, I just did this. Like I did retrain my mind. It took a year, <laughs> a year plus, wow. but I did it. And I think, you know, when I think about happiness, I think about making that choice every day that no matter what you're going through, you can, you can make it out alive, right? You can make it wow. out. You can find the light. You can find hope. Surround yourself with the right people and, and feed your soul, whether that's reading a book or listening to your podcast or whatever it I is, love that. right? I love that. Feed your soul. Yes. I love that. So you mentioned, yeah, before I go on, I do want to say that I, I think that you, you're hitting the nail on the head. That's, that's so right. Um, it's happiness is a choice. It absolutely, it absolutely is a choice. Um, and I, and I love that you, that you're choosing that. So you mentioned a partner outside. What about the birth father? Does he, the birth father of your son, does he, is he aware of all of this or? Yes. So he is, and he, you know, that was just a one-time situation in college. And I don't really have a relationship with him beyond that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, things were really stressful while I was pregnant with him. And of course we were both young and scared and, you know, interesting enough, now he's married and he just, I think they, within the last year or two, they had a child and, oh wow, you know, and I, and I used to just be so angry at him for some of the ways he treated me. But what I've learned is that, right, we're all similar to what we've been, we're talking about earlier. We all have our own version of the story and, mm -hmm. and we can't mm -hmm. judge or we can't, you know, neglect the fact that he was going through his own story he was going through his own process yeah. didn't match mine um so I don't hold any resentment but we're just not you know we don't really communicate yeah yeah absolutely I, I've absolutely loved having you on today to share the story I really feel like this is just the beginning um because I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of questions or feedback from people so I'd love to have you back on um where can people find your book so first off, thank you for having me. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Um, <laughs> excited to come back on. And Next time we'll do it together in Mexico. <laughs> there we go. Hey, there we go. Or Jamaica. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. please, whatever. <laughs> I love this. Um, you can find me, well, you can find my book on amazon.com, target.com, barnesandnoble.com. Um, I'm also, I have, you can go to hopeobaker.com and there's some links there, Instagram, all of that, all that business. All right. And I, I will put all of the links, um, in the show notes as well. 
but um, I really enjoyed our conversation and I, and I love that, that you're, you know, opening the floodgates for people to have these conversations. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And I think that the world needs more trailblazers like you. This is great hope. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michaela. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.